Today is Wednesday, March 29th, 2023. This is Quick Start from CBN News. I'm Dan Andros. Body cam footage reveals the incredible heroism of the responding officers in Nashville. We'll have that top story and more on today's podcast. We're bringing news from a Christian perspective. Subscribe, leave a rating, share it with a friend. You can email us, quickstartpodcast at cbn.org. Joining me, as always, to get through the news of the Cray, CBN's Billy Hallowell. Trey's out there on assignment. Billy, what's going on? I'm, Happy Wednesday. I'm excited. Yeah? Happy Wednesday. We've we've made it halfway through the week already, which is crazy. Yes. A lot coming up. Uh, Billy, what's the uh, focus story today? Yeah, so we're going to be talking about this horrific shooting. Um, it's just It's been the story that we've talked about yeah. you know, most of the week so far. Sure. And a friend, a former teammate who received messages from the shooter just minutes before the rampage unfolded. We're going to be breaking that story down. Yeah, I think it reveals a lot. So we'll discuss that more. Also on the main thing, what does the Bible actually say about tithing and finances? Well, Trey has the details on that with Andrew McNair. We'll discuss that on the main thing, but first we're going to get through the news here in 90 seconds. North Korean leader Kim Jong-un was pictured earlier this week showing off a new, smaller nuclear warhead. He was vowing to increase the production of weapons-grade material to expand his nuclear arsenal. This happened just after joint naval exercises between South Korea and the United States, and North Korea has long viewed such military drills as a rehearsal for invasion. Disney CEO Bob Iger said earlier this week his company is going to begin laying off thousands of people. It could be up to 7,000 jobs as they cut Disney's global workforce as part of a, quote, cost-cutting initiative. And that body cam footage has been released by the Nashville Police Department of the two officers credited with taking down Nashville shooter Audrey Hale, who killed six people, including three young children. Other images and tributes are beginning to pour in. A pediatric surgeon, Brittany Grayson, was there that morning speaking to the kids at Covenant School about her missionary work in Kenya, shared a really touching photo on Facebook. You see the kids there sitting there listening, not knowing what that day held in store for them. And um, she left just shortly before Hale had arrived. Those are just some of today's top headlines. You can check out those stories and more over at CBNNews.com. Billy, I wanted to talk a little bit about this body cam footage. It's quite remarkable, really stunning to just see the heroism of these officers. They come in, they're quick, they get going, clearing the building. Even one of the teachers, or at least administrators from the school, uh, she has not been identified yet, in the body cam footage, she's very calm, she's very helpful, and provides clear and concise information for the officers so they, they can get in there and know where to go and what they're facing. And they go in there, and it, it only takes a couple of minutes before they, they find the threat and neutralize the threat. And it's, it's intense video. Anytime you're breaking down doors to clear rooms, you don't know what's on the other side of those doors. And if there's going to be guns bearing down on you, you have no idea. It's selfless actions that you can see. And it's very evident as they're going through their breaking down doors and eventually confronting 
the shooter. Yeah, you know, as you watch it, you realize that these officers have trained for this moment, right? Yeah. That they knew what they were getting into. They knew what they needed to do. It doesn't seem like there's actually any moment in that footage of stopping, pausing. They're moving forward. Like you're saying, they're clearing the rooms out. And all I kept thinking was, as you open each door, as the cops are opening each door, like you were saying, they have no idea what is behind that door, which is absolutely terrifying. And so, I mean, a lot of credit to those police officers. Who knows how much worse it could have been? We still don't know all the details. Had they not done what they did, they obviously neutralized the threat. And it just, it gave me a real appreciation for that training, right? And for that oh, equipping yeah. and how much, how much we need to make sure that officers are prepared for that sort of moment, unfortunately. Yeah, it is sad that we have to have this sort of situation to prepare for, but it is a, it is a sinful and broken world. And as we're about to talk in, a, in the next story here, Billy, about just the state of mind, we, we can just see the fallen nature of people and the brokenness that people have. And if anything that we can take out of watching this tragedy unfold and seeing the brokenness and the, and the sadness that it's caused is how can we... And we can talk about this more in your story, Billy, because I think it more applies for that. But but how can we reach out to people and notice people when they are hurting? And how can we touch them? And how can we share God's love with them so that we have less of this? Everyone's talking about the guns now, and they're debating that. And how can we take that away? And And we can have those debates. But obviously, that doesn't take away whatever is underlying the brokenness that's causing people to want to go commit acts of violence like this. You're not taking that away. That's just a Band-Aid solution. And we have to get to the root of that. And as Christians, we have the answer. We have the truth. And so maybe this is just a wake-up call for us to be more mindful of those around us. Yeah, you know, it's like when you have a sinus infection, right, and you've got a horrible headache, your sinuses are killing you, and you've got all these symptoms, you're sneezing, you're coughing, and you take sinus Tylenol and all these other medications to try to get rid of those symptoms, it might get rid of them for a little while, it might help them feel a little bit better, but that infection is still there, and I think that a lot of these solutions we're talking about they're not necessarily bad. Sinus Tylenol is a great thing if you've got a headache, yeah. but they don't solve the problem. And so I, I'm hoping in this discussion we can get deeper in general on what really needs to happen to fix the societal woes that we have created and allowed here. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think it's a good transition to head into your story here, Billy, because this is really just heartbreaking stuff, but uh, fascinating as well, the way this all unfolded. And I think there's a lot we can potentially learn from it. So um, a former middle school basketball teammate of Audrey Hales reportedly received this chilling message from Hale just before she went on this attack. So tell us about it. Yeah, I mean, it's basically a digital suicide note, essentially. Um, and the person who received this is Averiana Patton. Um, she's actually down in Nashville. She's a radio personality. She's kind of a, a public figure down there, which is sort of interesting. But as you mentioned, she is a was the former middle school basketball teammate of the shooter. And she received a message on her phone around 9.57 a.m. Now, just keep in mind that Hal went into the school around 10.13. So this is coming about 15 minutes before this shooting began and the message basically said um, some of the quotes from it I'm planning to die today this is not a joke you'll probably hear about me on the news after I die and what's so bizarre about this is that 
this particular individual, again, middle school teammate, these are people in their late 20s now. So it doesn't sound very much like, unless there's details we don't know, they had a close relationship, this was a good friend. It was sort of a random outreach to this person where, where Hal is going to her and basically um, saying these things, right? And so really shocking, obviously. Now, just, just so people understand, Averiana, who got this message, She's seeing this as a suicidal sort of, hey, this is a suicide note. She she has no idea what's about to happen. Yeah, right. I, this is not, you can't put on, uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, you can't go in a time capsule here and, and know what possibly could be in store. I mean, the most you'd be thinking is that she's going to be a harm to herself, not anything you, you couldn't put on a radar like this. And so what did she do when she got this message? Yeah, so she she has spoken out to media, which is intriguing. And she said, I, I tried to comfort and encourage Hale and subsequently reached out to the suicide prevention helpline after being instructed to do so by my father. So she called her own father, um, not Hale's father, but, you know, this woman called her own dad and said, what do I do? He told her, reach out to the suicide prevention helpline. Um, and she said something interesting. She said, Audrey, again, Hale, has shared with others that she had been suicidal in the past and I knew to take this serious. Mm. That was an interesting claim because we've heard in this case that this individual had no previous mental health you know, concerns, which we can have a whole discussion about that. Uh, but I thought that was an interesting detail. Uh, but she also tried to encourage Hale. She said, Audrey, you have so much life to live. I pray God keeps and covers you. So she's trying to engage Hal, um, and Hal was not having any of that, was responding not in an aggressive way towards her, but saying, you know, I don't want to live. I'm so sorry. I'm not trying to upset or get attention. I just need to die. And so the message was very clearly a suicidal message. Again, having no idea here, there was no way to know what was about to happen, which was going to be a homicide of just horrific proportions. Yeah. And what did uh, Adriana do, um, or what did she say about the reason she thinks Hale reached out to her? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, she was asked by CNN's Don Lemon why she was reached out to, and she said, "You know, I'm still trying to figure that out. I, that's the question I'm asking. You know, God, myself, I have I have no idea." So she obviously is heartbroken and horrified because once the news broke of this situation, she realized who the shooter was, yeah. and again, she got this message. 15, 16 minutes beforehand and really tried her best to not only get help, um, she also reached out to the authorities. She reached out to the Nashville Davidson County Sheriff's Office. So she was trying to help Hal, um, but but really it ended up being much too late, which was not her fault at all. It just it just so happened that was the the series of events. Yeah, yeah really, really tragic and eerie to get to see those messages. And look, I think we should be praying for of course, all the people involved in this, as we've been talking about, but Averiana, people like her as well, who had this sort of interaction. I mean, I know she probably knows that it's not her fault, any of this, but I'm sure she's probably running through her mind. What could I, could I have said anything different? Could I have said something that maybe would have helped change her mind or, or stop, you know, stop this, even though I didn't know what she was going to do? And again, that's unreasonable, but I can understand how people would probably be wrestling with that. And I think you, you noticed, you noted, Billy, that, you know, that she's talking to media and that's interesting. And I think a lot of people, when they have a situation like this and they're in their, they're in the middle of a big story like this, I think they're actually advised in a lot of cases to talk to the media if the media is asking, because it's just, it's more therapeutic to just talk about it and, and get it out there. 
um, rather than just bottling it all up inside. So definitely, yeah. definitely a tragic thing. And one other thing I wanted to mention about her notes to um, to her friend is she said that something bad is about to happen. We can speculate on the state of mind and, and all of the reasons why and, and whatnot, but she knew this was bad. She knew this was not good. There was no delusion to the point where she didn't know what she was doing. Like this was very yeah. planned out. This is very calculated, you know, because a lot of times you'll see and I, and I haven't seen it in this particular case yet, but you'll see people say, like, well, they just weren't in their right state of mind. Like, well, if you're saying this is bad, well, then, you know, you absolutely know that this is the wrong thing to do. But you're just you've given yourself over to the urges and you're just going to do it anyway. Yeah, I think when you're saying something bad is about to happen to your point, you know, and, and you know, we don't know the ins and outs definitively of every one of these situations. Right. But I think when somebody is walking into a school and killing children oh. that we know we've crossed over a threshold into true evil. And I think we saw we saw true evil happen and we're all trying to understand and contend with it. And I think, you know, the, the frequency with which we're seeing evil emerge in this in this culture is actually startling. It's always been with us. It's nothing new, but I, it feels like a barrage of evil. Um, and it's really just heartbreaking. You know, these families, the daughter of a pa of the pastor of yeah. that church, you know, we covered as well. Um, th these are things that and let's also remember, by the way, I just don't want people to forget this. The other children who were in that school who heard or saw things and the other teachers, these are people who need prayer. It takes a lifetime to process through some of these things. Yeah, certainly does. I mean, that kind of trauma is, I mean, sadly, we see it more in America than we have in, in past years, but it's going to stick with people for a lifetime. And there's just no, there's no way of getting around that. This, this sort of trauma is just very difficult. And so definitely continued prayers for all impacted by this all the way around. So appreciate you bringing that story, Billy. We're going to move over to the main thing now and shift topics a little bit here and talk about what does the Bible actually say about tithing and financing? A lot, a lot of people have a lot of different views on finance and, and this topic. Andrew McNair is an author and financial analyst with years of experience, and he talked to Tragons Phillips about his journey from greed to giving away more than half of his annual income each year. That's today's main thing. Andrew McNair, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm glad to be here. Well, I'm, I'm excited to have you and, and eager to talk about money because that's, that's a topic that you know all too well. You actually have a new book coming out called The Giving Crisis, Helping Average Givers Become Everyday Philanthropists. Yes, Before sir. we talk about some of those details, why, why the book? Why, why are you choosing to write this now? Well, it's always been a passion of mine to talk about biblical stewardship, you know, being a hedge fund manager, being a wealth manager. I talk about money all the time in the secular world, but I wanted to talk about the giving crisis that is just glaring in our society. I actually spent a year living with my grandfather who lived through the Great Depression and to hear about 25 percent unemployment where they actually gave more during the Great Depression, 3.3 percent compared to our 2 percent giving today. And I thought, wow, this is a crisis. How can we be giving less now during the great economic expansion? Yes, we've had ups and downs in in the market and the economy, but over uh, all metrics, everything should point to we should be giving more because now we have double income households. There's just no reason why we shouldn't be giving more than the Great Depression. 
Yeah, why is it that you you think that, you know, I think we live in such a materialistic world now, right? We have everything at our fingertips. All the information we could possibly want is literally on a, a smartphone. Uh, so th- we have all of these answers, right? Uh, yet we're giving, like you said, so much less despite living in abundance. Why do you think that shift has happened over? And it's not that great, you know, it, obviously it's many years but in the grand scheme of things, it's not that much time uh, from the Great Depression to now, yet our giving has shifted so much. Why do you think that is? Well, I think what's happened is our expectations of what our standard of living has increased faster than our earnings have. And that's why people are spending more than they make, even though they're making more than they did 10 years ago. And this is something, again, I love to talk about because with this double income households that we're seeing in families, there's no reason why we shouldn't be giving more. And for me, I can only speak to the person I once was. I had an addiction to greed. I wanted everyone's money. I wanted more money. I wanted to make more. I wanted to have more, and I made it my goal to try to retire early, the FIRE uh, movement, financially independent retire early. And the best thing that ever happened to me is that I accumulated $147,000 by the time I was 18 with some of the financial investing techniques that I'd learned working at a financial firm, and I lost every single penny, which for most people would sound like a tragedy, but it was the best thing that could ever happen to me because this voice of greed was egging me on to make more, earn more, and that I was never uh, enough. And my net worth and my self-worth were so intertwined. And when I lost everything and I was bankrupt, emotionally and what felt spiritually, I thought there's got to be a better way. And that's when Jesus really changed my testimony is that actually I wasn't here to accumulate. I was here actually to trade earthly treasure for eternal treasure. And that's why I teach others how to give not just a 10% tithe, but to give the majority of their income away. That's why I give half of my income away and most of my net worth away. You know, I think the word tithing is something that makes people shift in their seats uh, sometimes when they're at church, when they hear the pastor bring up your tithes and offerings, especially if it's going to be a sermon series. I think people right. are like, oh, no, what is, what is, what are the, what's the pastor going to ask of me this time? But really, it's an act of worship, right? What we're giving to the Lord is an act of worship and surrender uh, mm. of all facets of our life to the Lord. So maybe help us understand a little bit of a, a working definition, if you will, of what tithing is or how we should frame that in our mind. Right. Well, first off, the pastor is not asking that of you. God is commanding that of you. And it's very clear uh, before Levitical law, during Levitical law, New Testament is not silent on tithing. Tithing is 10% set aside unto the Lord to your local church. Tithing is not giving to your family, even if they do feel like charity, they aren't charity, <laughs> uh, and they're not the local church. Um, giving to other ministries, which is very important, and I love that, is not the local church. The first 10% that we make goes to the local church. Now, if you want to give more and abundantly over 10%, which if you look at the first century believers, that's what they did. Um, I would say that that's what goes to ministries. And so tithing, a lot of times people are looking for a way out. I mean, we know that 95% of Christians are not tithing, which is to me mind boggling um, because the, the scripture is very clear 
just like when it says when you fast, when you tithe. I mean, Jesus said to the Pharisees, you know, continue to tithe, but don't forget justice, mercy. I mean, he assumed that everyone is giving and he didn't tell the widow not to give. He didn't say, hey, hey, that widow doesn't need uh, she needs that money. we got to give that money back to her. He never said that. Obviously, the Lord uh, can go, uh, condones tithing. Never try to look out of a way of getting out of tithing because grace really increases the bar for our giving. And so tithing is the floor. It's the beginning of giving, but it's definitely not the ceiling. You know, I think so often, a lot of times it's not just out of selfishness. People don't tithe out of fear, right? They're afraid, which obviously there's a root of selfishness there too uh, that you could dig into. But I think a lot of times it's it's the single mom or the single dad who's just trying to make ends meet and they don't know how they're going to do it. And and the thought of giving up 10%, maybe even 2% uh, of the income that they that they're bringing in is just a scary prospect. So for somebody who's listening to this or watching this video and they're afraid of how they can even take that first step and and trusting whether or not they're going to be okay, what word of advice would you give to them? Well, the first thing I would I would start off with some tangible to get them encouraged. You know, every time you get a pay raise, a cost of living adjustment, a promotion, what do most people do when they get a 5% increase in their pay? They spend it. Uh, what we should do is say, no, you know, I've got this because of my hard work. I'm working unto the Lord in my job. I'm one of the best workers in my job place because I'm working unto the Lord. I don't work for my boss. I work for the Lord. And so I got this 5% increase for my hard work. And so I'm going to do 3% or 2% towards my tithe. I'm going to increase my giving and I'm going to increase my saving for long term future because I don't want to be dependent on the federal government. And then I'm going to increase that 1% for me for my spending. I'm going to spend a little bit more because of my hard work. So that's a tangible technique that I teach a lot of families to do in my book, and I talk about that extensively. But it's back to the mindset is the Lord does not ask us to give a flat rate. He's asking us at all wealth levels, at all income levels to uh, give that 10%. And many times people become biblical scholars overnight, and they say, well, Andrew, he didn't ask everyone to give up everything to follow him. No, but he did ask a lot of them to. The majority of the disciples, the majority of the rich young ruler and the people that approached Jesus, he asked them to die to themselves. And we have to ask ourselves, where is the Lord in our priority stack? If I looked at your calendar and if I looked at your checking account, if I look at what brings you anxiety, if money brings you anxiety, it's probably because you have it higher than what the Lord uh, is to you in your life. I know that sounds really harsh and it's hard to hear, but that's what oozes out of us when we get squeezed in our anxiety moments is what we lean closest into, uh, what we're leaning into for support. And, and I've been there. Many times when I felt scared financially, I leaned on what can I do? Well, how much more money can I make? How much can I lower my expenses when I should have been leaning on the Lord and said, hey, he told me not to worry. He told me not to worry about uh, what tomorrow holds. He told me not to worry about clothing myself because he clothes the, you know, the sparrows and the grasses. So the Lord will take care of me. Yeah, I think there's there's so much truth to that, and I know that we could uh, we could talk about this for for hours and hours. And I know this is something that you do, in fact, talk about uh, for hours and hours, and and have have spent your life studying and and writing about. So it's in this new book called The Giving Crisis: Helping Average Givers Become Everyday Philanthropists. It'll be out the beginning uh, of April. Uh, Andrew McNair, thank you so much for taking a few minutes. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Happy to do it anytime. Thank you.
All right, Trey, appreciate that conversation there with Andrew talking about tithing and finances. Obviously, the Bible has a lot to say about money, so very important that we talk about uh, these topics. Good stuff. So that leaves us with time here for one last thing on the podcast today. Yes. So Romans twelve fifteen, which is such a simple but powerful verse, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. And that is such a pertinent verse right now with so many people, not just directly impacted, but around the country who are mourning what unfolded. Yeah. And I think there's this tendency whenever there's somebody grieving in our community with us or a bigger one like this, we, we want to say the perfect thing and we want to come up with the words but we don't have to do that. Just mourn with those who are mourning. Just be there with them. Let them know that you're there and that you're there to help, that you're there to love on them in any way that you can. And that's what we're called to do. And God will take care of the rest. So um, I think that's a good spot to leave it on this Wednesday edition of the podcast, halfway through the week, more than halfway through the week now, on our way to Friday, Junior, and then Friday, and the next thing you know, the weekend. It's amazing how that all works. So I appreciate you being here as always. Don't forget to head on over to cbnnews.com and faithwire.com. More news from a Christian perspective. Lord willing in that creek don't rise. We'll see you back here tomorrow. God bless. 